Yes, yes, yes. It is I, says me. And all who agree are more than three because they're weak. Yes. Yo, I'm in the house now for sure. Because I want to talk about the hearts of men. Who knows what evil lurks within them? But let's take a travel down the blind side and see what we find down this path called yo <laughs> thanks for listening downloading and subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 kyle podcast i'm 12 kyle all right check this out on this podcast we're going to take it back we're going to break down and talk about one of the greatest hip-hop albums of the 90s dr dre's the chronic 25 years later we'll break the album down talk about the tracks and talk about the impact of the album so sit back relax we'll drop the theme music and we'll get the podcast jumping let's get it Welcome back. As I mentioned at the top, man, we're talking about The Chronic 25 years later. Now, it's bugged out to even mention that sentence. The Chronic is turning 25 years old. And the reason being is that this album resonates with me and so many other people. Uh, This album was released on December 15th, 1992 on Death Row Records. Um, it was distributed by Interscope and Priority Records. Um, I guess you have to, before you even start thinking and talking about this album, you kind of got to look at the landscape of what was actually going on in 1992. Um, in 1992, this was a very pivotal album for Dr. Dre. Uh, as many of you know, Dr. Dre from you know NWA fame, Um, But Dr. Dre had done something that had not been done or at least really wasn't popular at the time. Um, He left N.W.A. Uh, You know, it's really mind boggling when you think about it, because at that particular time in hip hop. Now, we had seen it happen in R&B, but in hip hop, you if you were in a group, you just pretty much stayed in the group <laughs> you know there was no leaving the group there was no going solo type stuff uh, so really it was interesting and you know we did not know how this thing was going to play out um, we knew that Dr. Dre had had his um, I guess issues if you will with Easy e um, former member of NWA with him uh, and you know, again, for us in 1992, this was prior to the internet. So there were no blogs, there were no tweets or anything about beef. We did know that Dre and Easy weren't seeing eye to eye. And then I, I remember getting word that um, Dr. Dre was leaving. NWA Ice Cube had already left. Um, and he was dissing, you know, the group or whatever like that. So 
uh, it was really, you know, a, a really pivotal moment for Dr. Dre because uh, he was either going to sink or swim. And nobody had heard of Death Row Records. Nobody knew, you know, what kind of success he would have or not have uh, in making of this album. Uh, all we knew is that Dr. Dre was in the studio making an album. Um, and that was it. We really didn't know a whole bunch. Um but even before the album came, the first single that was released was uh, Nothing But A G Thing. That song was released November 19th of 1992. So we got a preview and a, and a brief glimpse, especially with the video, um, as to what we could expect from this album. Um, but yeah, 1992, man, it was, again, it was a critical year for Dr. Dre. Uh, many people really thought that he was going to fail. Um, and Dre will tell you that and uh, anybody else in the music industry, anybody was a fan at that particular time because N.W.A. was such a juggernaut, was such a, a powerful movement. And we had seen Ice Cube go solo and have success. Uh, but with Dre, you just didn't know because you could look at N.W.A. and you could tell that Ice Cube, you know, was going to be OK on his own. Um Dre, not so much. <laughs> and it wasn't because he didn't have talent, but we knew that, you know, Ice Cube was a lyricist and Dre was the, the producer. So uh, how was a producer going to go out on his own and create an album that could be doper or fresher than what Straight Outta Compton was? So we weren't sure as to what was going to happen. But nonetheless, uh, Dr. Dre you know, stepped out on faith, if you will, and, and, and you know, put together a, something that uh, really would be groundbreaking and changing uh, the game of hip hop. Um, this album, its impact is long lasting. Uh, obviously, with Dre being the producer that he is, uh, the production, dare I say, was crazy. Um very sample, very heavy samples. Um, you know, he really tapped into Parliament Funkadelics, um, soulful beats, uh, bass lines, tough, tough and cold ass bass lines. Um, you know, it, it really gave us an old school vibe, but it was something that we had never heard before. And they, you know, it was West Coast hip hop, but they called it G-Funk and it was funky. It was, I mean, just dirty, stinky, funky type music, if you will. Um, and so Dr. Dre really put all of this together. And, you know, the, the album was obviously executive produced by uh, Suge Knight. But the production on this album was insane. I mean, Dre sampled some of everybody from uh, the Honey Drippers to the Ohio Players. Of course, Parliament Funkadelic, George Clinton. Um, man, you name it, he did it. Uh, James Brown, Bill Withers, uh, even sampled BDP in this. Um, and of course, what he also did because uh, Dr. Dre, oh, oh can't forget about uh, Donnie Hathaway, uh, Gil Scott Heron. Um, who else did he sample? Uh, some, some of some of the biggest names in the music business uh so i said that to say this you know dr dre really was lining himself up production wise to 
come out with something that we had never heard before. But the flip side of it was that we knew that he would do it on the production side. But how would it sound when it came time to get someone someone to write and rhyme to this album? Because, again, even if you go back to the N.W.A. days, you know, Dre wasn't a rapper. I mean, Ice Cube wrote the rhymes. Everybody knew Ice Cube wrote the rhymes. And Dre, he could rap, but he he wasn't a rapper. So here's where it really gets interesting, I think. Because Dr. Dre enlisted some of the most incredible MCs uh, at the time. He pulled this guy out of seemingly out of nowhere by the name of Calvin Brodus. Uh, you know him as Snoop Doggy Dog or Snoop Dogg or Snoop Lion or whatever, whatever he's calling himself now. I call him Snoop. Um, <laughs> but uh, at the time, man, Snoop was a relative unknown. And I remember seeing Snoop for the first time in the Nothing But But A G Thing video. And here's this tall, lanky kind of kid who's, you know, very camera shy. And he's not even looking. If you watch the video, he 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 never looks into the camera. Um, but, uh, you know, so he's got this laid back flow and he is killing this beat. And so we're like, OK, who is this guy? You know, and, you know, some people had heard him on or heard you know some of his music or whatever i think he i think he was on the uh the deep cover song before this i want to say this was on the album before the album came out um the deep cover song uh with dr dre um but so yeah he found snoop uh and then he also like i said enlisted some other incredible mcs uh from the lady of rage the doc who was a writer on the album rbx um daz and corrupt from the dog pound and of course on the uh on the hooks the great the legendary nate dog i mean so this album was shaping up to be you know you could look at it and say okay it's a compilation if you will but nonetheless dr dre was very very smart and very meticulous in you know kind of crafting this um collection of talent you know not just at death row but just at the 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 helm of what he was trying to do and how he wanted to make this album sound sonically um now i don't have to get into the the critical acclaim that this album received but this album was uh very highly critically acclaimed i think it sold like six million copies um this album was everywhere in december 1992 i happened to be in college uh at south carolina state university i was a sophomore and let me tell you man when this album came out when i tell you everybody had it everybody had it there was such a demand for this album and and some of you listening can not really appreciate this because you weren't around, but there was such a demand for this album that it was selling out of stores. And what happened was back in 1992, if you sold out of an album, then wherever you bought that album from, you may have to wait, you know, a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of days, you know, if they got another shipment in to get the album. So you know, unlike unlike today's time where you can just download an album, you know, you never have to leave your house. Imagine going to the record store to buy an album 
and there's no albums for you to purchase that sucks <laughs> and then what makes it even worse is that everybody all of your friends have the album and you don't so there was a pressure really to buy the album the first week that it came out personally i remember driving to the record store buying the album and i remember standing and waiting in line for about 15 minutes it was that many people buying the chronic album no lie we all had to have this album and this album like i said was critically acclaimed um it sold through the roof it was played everywhere the videos were played everywhere uh this album went on to be as i mentioned at the top one of the best albums of 19 in my opinion it's the best album of 1992 it is arguably one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time i will put it in the criteria and in the top upper echelon of the albums for the 90s and this is a must-have album for any hip-hop fan because it changed the genre it changed the direction of where hip-hop music was going of course it was a west coast album but it broke new ground for west coast mcs um these uh, these mcs were, were deadly on the microphone and what was great about at least for me what was great about it was that you had these west coast mcs but they didn't necessarily sound like west coast mcs because they could act you know their, their rhyming styles and patterns sounded so so much different from what we were used to and you take someone like the lady of rage who was from the east coast but she was on this west coast label but she was so so incredible when it came time to rhyme um so yeah this album you know got grammy nominations uh four and a half mics in the source i think should have got five but i think they came back and gave it five later but initially a four and a half mic um album um you know one of the best albums period in the history of hip-hop so it was critically acclaimed and again this is dr dre's baby if this album flops then you know, who knows what happens to Dr. Dre? Who knows what happens to these MCs? Who knows what happens to Suge Knight? <laughs> who knows what happens to anybody involved? This was such a pivotal album. And, um, you know, it was something that really, really took off. It took off on the charts. Uh, and I think this album was certified platinum, like within a month's time or so. Uh, this, this album was, it was, was crazy. Um, and so I think what happens is, is that when you have this album come out in 1992, December 15th, 1992, and there's nothing that looks like it, there's nothing that sounds like it, it makes people stop and say, hey, I got to get this album. So the buzz was crazy. Then you get into the tracks. Uh, the album starts off with the chronic intro. Um, great sample here. Uh what can I say, man? This is how this album starts off and this album goes so hard from here on out. Then you go to track two. Uh, some people, I think depending on when you bought the album, uh, the album should say, should, track two should be Fuck With Dre Day. Um, and then of course they shorten it to Dre Day. Uh, but it was Fuck With Dre Day and Everybody Celebrating. That was the original title. Um, on this song, you got uh dre rapping snoop rapping uh rbx and jewel is on the outro um then you go to track three and my personal favorite track of this album uh 
Let Me Ride. Um, man, Dr. Dre, that beat is so sinister. I love this song. I never get tired of hearing it. Uh, Dre and Snoop are rapping on this one. Um, then you go to track four, uh, The Day That The Niggas Took Over. Uh, you got Snoop, RBX on the chorus, uh, Daz, Dre, RBX are rapping on it. Um, another heater, another heater. And this is just four tracks in. This album is blazing. Then you go to the lead single for track five, nothing but a G thing. I mean, one, two, three until the four. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the door. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, right? Um, of course, Snoop and Dre are rhyming on this one. Then you go to track six. Uh, before track six starts, you get the little interlude with the D's nuts, which was a famous joke that we carried for about a year and a half or so. Uh, just playing on people saying D's nuts. Um, if you're around in the 90s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the song was dope. Uh, Warren G was on the intro. Of course, you had Snoop, Dre, and Daz, and Nate Dogg on the hook as well. Um, so this album is six tracks in, and it's, again, just blazing. No skippable tracks here. Uh, you get to track seven, Little Ghetto Boy, um, with the Donnie Hathaway uh, sample. Uh, Snoop and Dre and Daz uh, all contribute to this song. Then you go to track eight, A Nigga With A Gun. This is just Dre, and it's just, man, just bars and bars and bars. And Dre really actually holds his own on this particular song, even though he goes solo on the solo tip. Um, Rat-a-tat-tat is the next song, track nine. RBX does the intro. You got Dre, Snoop, um, another banger, another banger. Then you throw it to a skit, the $20 sack pyramid skit um that one was funny i I, it, it, I could never grow tired of listening to it that skit was just downright hilarious uh i think that's um in fact i know that's that's uh, uh dlc um so yeah man and and dlc had been bubbling you know of course we know about the accident that he had but the 20 dollars sack pyramid is still funny to this day Again, I'll never get tired of listening to it. It cracks me up all the time. So then you go to track 11, Lyrical Gangbang. Man, listen, Lady of Rage sets it off. Again, she's from Virginia. How she ends up on death row, I have no clue to this day. But she gets on and she tears the track. Corrupt is on second. And then you got RBX uh, bringing up the rear. Um... But that beat is crazy. I mean, production-wise, Dr. Dre just really, really killed this album. Um, then you go to track 12, High Powered. Uh, you've got Dre, Rage, RBX, and Daz. Um, again, more and more heat for you. Uh, then you go to the doctor's office skit. Um, he probably could have left this off because, I mean, who wants to hear this? Uh, <laughs> Dr. Dre allegedly having sex with somebody. Um, but... You know, funny. It was funny the first time I heard it. After that, I was like, "Yeah, okay." Um, then the back half, the back end of the album, uh, "Stranded on Death Row" is track fourteen. Bushwick Bill from the Ghetto Boys actually introduces this. You got Corrupt, 
RBX, Rage, Snoop, and then uh, Bushwick Bill finishes it. Um, and then The Roach, track 15. Uh, RBX is so dope on this. <laughs> Cannabis Atipa. <laughs> uh, this song, man, I love this song, man. This, the P-Funk song, I mean, the P-Funk sample, excuse me, um, by Parliament. Classic, man, classic. And then, last but not least, Pulling Up the Rear, track 16. Um, bitches ain't shit. <laughs> Which is not my words. This is the words of the song. Um, I, I am always amazed at how uh, not just this particular song, but this entire album. When you look at the lyrics and you repeat the lyrics, how sexist, misogynistic this album is. But women, or at least the women that I knew, loved this album. Um, and they were singing word for word, especially Bitches Ain't Shit. That was pretty popular. <laughs> Nonetheless, man, those are the tracks. Again, this album flows. Uh, there's not any misplaced tracks. Um, we got a chance to see and we were introduced to some very, very great MCs. And, and I think that that was very key because for the most part, we didn't know who these people were. Um, and that was, you know, the genius of Dr. Dre. And, uh, you know, one of the things that really stood out to this on this album is the lyricism and the competitiveness between the MCs. Um, as well as the skits. Uh, so let's take a quick commercial break. I'll play a couple of the skits for you. And on the other side, we'll talk about the impact of this album. We'll be back in just a second. And I'm going to say this and I'm going to end mine. If you ain't down for the Africans here in the United States, period, point blank, if you ain't down for the ones that suffered in South Africa from apartheid and shit, damn it, you need to step your punk ass to the side and let us brothers and us Africans step in and start putting some foot in that ass. That's what they told us today. In other words, you're still a slave. No matter how much money you got, you still ain't shit. I'm going to tell you right now, if, if, if I have to die today for this little African right here to have a future, I'm a dead motherfucker. And just like that, we are back. We're talking The Chronic. 25 years later, this is the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Man, one of the things that really, really stands out to me that and brings back memories of this album is also from a historical standpoint, what was taking place when this album was being made. Uh, this album was being crafted and created uh, at the time of the L.A. riots. Um, as many of you know, there was a lot of uh, social injustice, uh, a lot of things that were happening in you know communities across this country, particularly in L.A. where this uh, album was made. Um, you know, you had the Rodney King verdict and, you know, Black people were just really, really tired and they were um, tired of being pushed over and beaten down and just, you know, really just done wrong by the powers that be. And they just weren't going to take it anymore. And the L.A. riots were the backdrop of this album. And you can hear it not just in the skits, but it gives you a historical pers historical perspective of where some of the sound and the feeling and the, and the emotion came from in this album. And so when I listen to this album and I still listen to this album to this day, 
uh, that's one of the things that stands out to me is that, you know, this album was crafted in a time where uh, in the city of Los Angeles, there was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of pain. And, you know, Dr. Dre was able to bring this out of the MCs and, and in this music. Um, and uh, I think that was very, very important. And so I think that's something that will always live with this album. Um one of the reasons why this album is as important as it is, is that it changed the sonically, it changed the sound of what we expected from a hip hop album. Um, unlike today, <laughs> we didn't listen to this album in December of 1992 and say, oh, this is a classic. But over a period of time, you knew that this album was a classic because we had never heard anything like this. Uh, the G funk era, um, was something totally different and something that Dr. Dre helped craft. And it was something that people gravitated towards because not only did the music sound good, but the music made you feel good, it made you want to get up and dance. And one of the significant things about this album, especially with Dr. Dre using some of the older samples that he used, is that what he was able to do was to introduce Many of us kids who, like me, heard some of these samples, these 70s samples back in the day. Yeah, I heard Parliament Funkadelic growing up and I heard it in my house. But to hear it again wrapped around this sample that he's using with this dope MC that's rhyming on top of it, that made it all the more better for me as a as a listener. And it made me gravitate not just toward his music, but also the music from yesteryear, the music that I grew up on. Um, so I think one of the, the key components of this album is that it helped bridge the gap between old school and new school. And this at the time, this was new school. And for me being in college at South Carolina State University, again, everybody had this album. And I'm not just saying like a couple of people. I mean, like everybody on my campus had this album and like you couldn't go anywhere. People were playing it in the dorms. People were playing it, you know, wherever, in the cars, riding on campus. So you couldn't get away from this album. Um, another thing that I think makes this album, you know, as great as it is historically is that uh, it was a, a make or break album for Dr. Dre. Uh, again, as I mentioned at the top, we don't know how or where he ends up if this album flops. Um, and one of the great things about this album coming out in 1992, as opposed to coming out today, uh, you know, there was no press, there was no, you know, you know, rollout or anything like that. Again, nothing but a G thing came out roughly a month before the album dropped, but there was very little fanfare about what we were about to experience and what we were about to hear. Um, and this album stayed on the pop charts. It stayed on the R&B charts. It was everywhere. Again, it was nowhere that you couldn't could go and find it. Excuse me, get and be away from it. Um, and then the videos, uh, G thing, uh, which was you know again one of the significant videos of 1992. Then Dre Day was the second video, which was you know obviously they dissed Easy E in the video. And, um, you know, that was funny in and of itself. And that that song was released 
May 20th of 1993. And then the third single was released uh, almost a year later. Uh, Let Me Ride was released September 13th, 1993. So, you know, they didn't have to release a whole bunch of singles, uh, but this was getting radio play. This was getting the videos were getting played all over, all over everywhere. Um, so, yeah, man, I think this this album helped define, you know, the 90s, uh, particularly L.A. And, and what it did was it also exposed us to a side of music and a side of the world uh, for someone who was in South Carolina did not see or, or experience growing up um this album man it will definitely stand the test of time uh you could tell sonically where dr dre moved from straight out of compton to nwa's second album niggas for life uh to this album sonically those three pieces of work sound totally different um I like the fact that he pushed the needle on this this album, and subsequently the MCs pushed the needle on this album. Um, it started what would be a great run for Dr. Dre. Um, it, it started what would be a great run for Death Row. You know, you know, you, you can make a case that it was the beginning and the end for Suge Knight. Um, but nonetheless, man, this album has stood the test of time. Uh, for me, on a personal note, it's hard to believe that this album is turning 25 because it means I'm getting old, which is cool because, you know, this album is dope and I'm getting old with this album. And honestly, I get as much as enjoyment as I did back in 1992 that I do today listening to it. So if you have not listened to this album, listen to it, vibe to it. And, you know, drop a comment. Feel free to drop a comment. Uh, let me know what you think. Once again, The Chronic, 25 years later. Thank you for checking out another edition of the 12 Kyle Podcast. I'm your boy, 12 Kyle. I'll catch you guys next time. 5,000.